perverts, daydreamers, illicit lovers, and compulsive show-offs. Welcome to the Perverts Podcast. Tonight we'll be uncovering perversions and persuasions of times gone by. I'm mulling these over with our historian and a few friends from the cabaret scene. I've asked them to select an item from various queer archives and join me at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern to chat these through and share a brand new piece of cabaret, especially created in response to the artefact, for your ears only. This is the Perverts Podcast. History of normal people's really nice and ever a thing. But let's chat about something a bit more interesting. Hello world, here I am. I'm a bouncy little lamb and I say bam. Yes, I'm a pervert. You say I'm tossed and apart like a pickle in your jam and I say bam. Yes, I'm a pervert. Another queer city joy packed in every milligram And I say bam, bam, bam Yes, I'm a pervert It's the Pervert's Podcast I am artist, writer and director Leo Skilbeck and co-founder of queer performance company Milk Presents. I'm fascinated by what has been considered perverted throughout history and why. If you want to know more about me, Milk, and the ins and outs of why we made this show, then check out episode zero. But for now, let's slip into something a little more comfortable and make our way to the RVT. One hundred and sixty years old, give or take. Giving it, taking it, she's seen it all. A majesty in her own league. At ease in her incongruity, in the way she doesn't mind sticking out. Those eyes blinking, her lashes flashing a wink to the queers who chance to look up from the masses who pass by these crossroads at Vauxhall. Are you ready? Come dressed up as yourself this evening. Slip on a pair of Here I Am, pull on your most revealing smashing it over your favourite We Got This. The bouncer checks our bags and our pockets. If you're anyone, you'll know him. We know that and we go in. Yes, you made it, you made it. Come on in, come on in. Yeah, yeah, the with me, this one, yeah. Come on in, that's it, that's it. You look amazing. Green is definitely your colour. And I'll catch up with you in a bit, yeah, because I'm actually on the stage in a moment. Enjoy the show. Good evening, everybody. We are Milk Presents, and this is the Perverts Podcast. Okay, now the way this works is I have in front of me an artefact fresh from the Bishopsgate Institute, which is an archive of all things queer in London, and you should definitely check that out. To discuss the artefact, I'm joined by two extraordinary people, keeping us on fact and on trend, our resident historian, the writer and filmmaker, it's Campbell X, everybody. The performer, writer, and self-described helium balloon in the shape of a woman, it's Ginger Johnson. And our artifact for today is, drum roll please. Oh yeah, I love that, a little bit louder. A little bit louder, a little bit louder. It's called The Human Dilemma. And this is an agony amp post published 
on the 3rd of October, 1970. Quite a long time ago. Okay, so it's an Agony Ant post. So, Ginger, please can you describe it to us? What does it yes, look like? Yes, I can. It looks like it, it's a page from the Daily Mirror, I'm going to imagine. Yeah, it looks yeah. like it's might be like... And at the top it says, The Human Dilemma, human in big capital letters. And uh, it's, it's an, an Agony Ant column written by Marge Proops. Big whoop for Marge. And um, it says at the top, there's a little graphic at the top here that shows somebody picking out an index card out of what looks like a folder of top secret information. <laughs> and it says, John Thorpe, age 66, occupation, retired, wife, Sylvia, age 64. And then in brackets, which I really enjoy, having just listed all that, it says, real names, ages and addresses withheld. <laughs> Lovely. And um, so there's a little bit of information at the top here about uh, about the letter that the man sent in, and then there's a response there from Marge underneath. I really love that there's a category called wife. Yes! <laughs> I enjoyed that. It's like wife. Okay, good. Got that out of the way. Um, okay, please can you read us just an excerpt of it? Yes, long. I've got just, some bits and bobs bit, yeah. of it here. So. When two pleasant and amiable young men moved into the flat opposite theirs, John and Sylvia Thorpe happily accepted that their new nimbus invitation to a housewarming drink. However, as soon as they became acquainted, John Thorpe guessed that Philip and Tony were homosexual. Precisely. They made no effort to disguise their relationship with each other, behaved, as Mr. Thorpe describes it, with blatant affection. The Thorpes consider themselves to be modern-minded, tolerant couple. Their one worry, however, is their two grandchildren. Yes, John is sure that his grandchildren will ask some awkward questions. Is it better to be honest and try to explain or give evasive answers and ignore the problem? Mm. Do you want to hear what Marge says? I would love to, please. Right, potted version of what Marge says, because she doesn't prattle on for a little while. But she says... (laughs) She says... If I were called upon to explain it all, I'd start by explaining that heterosexual people are people of the opposite sex capable of loving each other. There is a minority of people unable for all sorts of rather complicated reasons. Though they can... (laughs) To love members of the opposite sex, though they can do and admire them and feel affection for them. The people who can only express deep love for members of their own sex are called homosexuals. There can be either homosexual men or women who are known as lesbians. These minority groups are sometimes a little extravagant or unusual in their behaviour, in their speech or gestures or clothes. Because being different from the rest of the people, they are inclined to overdo the difference a bit. (laughs) Don't know what you mean, Marge. Sometimes out of sheer nerves. (laughs) They are very sensitive and very easily hurt, which is why... Snowflakes. Yes, which is why kindly and decent people never show intolerance, are never hasty in their judgment of the behaviour of minority groups, and do their best to treat them as they treat anyone they happen to meet, politely, with respect and with friendliness. Not bad, Marge. Not bad. Thank you, Marge for that back in 1970 and so I gave you four options to choose yes you did yes and why did you choose this one well one of the reasons that I chose this one first of all was when I first started to read the letter and the response I was a little bit worried that Marge was about to out herself as a bit of a nasty piece of shit Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna lie (laughs) 
But actually, I think the advice that she gives is very open and very strong. I mean, yeah. it's 1970, so she's done well. She makes some assumptions along the way. That, that's, one, <laughs> that's one reason why I chose it. Yeah. Another reason why I chose it is because I think, although it's obviously a very old article, an old letter, um, it's still a very prescient thing. You know, mm -hmm. people come out to each other all the time. People are forced to come out to each other in different situations yeah. all the time. I know that whenever I've moved house, there is, there's that time where you sort of scope out the area and work out who around you has decided whether or not you're queer and whether or not they're okay about it. So uh -huh, yeah. I think I think there's a lot in this letter that is currently still hanging around. I also really enjoy that John, the spineless shit, has decided to pin all of this on the grandchildren. Oh, yeah, Nothing yeah. to do with John's not worried. I'm not homophobic, but my grandchildren might be. <laughs> uh, so uh, I think that's why I chose right. it. And Campbell, can you give us just a little bit of context about what's happening at the time, like 1970s, or what's happening in the time for LGBTQIA plus people as well, uh, or queer people? What's, give us a little bit of an overview. Well, that was in October 1970, wasn't yeah, it? So yeah. um, gay male sex had been decriminalized mm -hmm. three years previously. Wow. Yeah. So it's quite recent, the kind of changes. And if people know, it was partial decriminalization, mm -hmm. meaning that I think two two men could have sex with each other in private in their home as long as nobody else was present in the house. <laughs> like, seriously. Oh, wow, okay. You weren't allowed to have anybody else and obviously no public sex. Who's supposed to hold the camera? <laughs> well, that's the dilemma. <laughs> um, and so I was reading up on it, mm. on people who'd come of age at the time of 67 when it was decriminalized. And there were some people who were out, who were in couples, and some people who were very nervous about being out because they had experienced blackmail, they'd experienced mm. um, aversion therapy, which is horrendous, and they'd experienced being beaten up by police because sometimes they'd get attacked, homophobically, but then they go to the police and the police would attack them again. Wow, okay. So, you know, there's been a kind of troubled history between the LGBTQ community and, and the police force. Mm -hmm. So in that way, it was um, psychologically, it appeared a complex time. People mm -hmm. were relieved they could be out, but at the same time were reluctant to be out yeah. as well. But of course, this couple who, you know, moved in next to the homophobic children, um, <laughs> grandchildren, um, were obviously wealthy enough to have their own apartment. And that's an issue that's not often discussed when people are out or in, is about economic wealth, economic status, class status mm -hmm. around that time. And obviously it's gendered. There's, a, there's an author called Maureen Duffy, who um, is in her 80s now, she was always out, and she was out at that time as well. And um, she says, I, would, I could be out because I'm a writer and nobody was employing me. So what am I going to do, fire myself? Okay, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, but there was a hit, mm -hmm. a disco hit called Born This Way, funnily enough, 1975, by an artist called Valentino, and it was number one in the charts in the UK in 1975. Oh, wow, okay. Subsequently nicked by... Lady Gaga, the title. Mm. Mm -hmm, anyway, mm -hmm. talk about appropriation. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Um, yeah, so, yeah, it was a complex time. Yeah. It was a complex time. So there's not just sort of one story that we can say about that no. time. And you mentioned, uh, like, disco music. What would it be like as a queer person then going out? Or what would it, what do we imagine it would have been like at that time? Exciting. Yeah. Because yeah. it was a thrill uh-huh. to be in the underground. Yeah. Nobody knew. Hiding in the dark corners. Oh, I love it. Predatory. I'm literally on the straight world. I'm blushing you right know, now. You can't, you can't see this, <laughs> listeners, that I am. Yeah, I'm just interested in like what it would yeah be like for people. So it has been legalized partially. Some people are more out. I'm putting that inverted commas. Yeah. Sort of problematic, uh, saying out. And then yeah. some people are not so. And women aren't even included in the act. No. The men don't don't have sex. No, no. (laughs) So it doesn't need to be decriminalised because they don't have an outy thing. Okay, yeah. So therefore... So therefore no sex. It can't happen. And how common do you think it would be for people to cohabit, like for couples to move in together? Mm. Do you think that was common or was it not? Like, would it have been a big thing in the flats or not? Or what what do we think? I think judging from, like, cultures in the past globally... At that time, the Gay Liberation Front hadn't mm-hmm. quite started yet. Okay. So people marching in the streets. The first Pride was in 1972, I think. Okay. So people marching for their rights hadn't become part of public discourse. And I think when that, until that happens, people generally are just like, I ain't seen ya. Okay. You know, yeah. like, it's like, don't ask, don't tell. Mm-hmm. So if you're not kind of declaring, you know, I'm... Humphreys and I'm free, you know, mm-hmm. or being gay or being lesbian or trans. People just seem to, as long as you're not labeling it and not asking for rights, okay. you, you're sort of, you know, once you start asking for rights, problems. <laughs> okay. Um, so there's that equality. Mm-hmm. So there's that you know. tension between labeling something or not labeling something, turning yeah. an act into an identity, yeah. whether that is useful for us or not, yeah. but whether we need it or not to access rights. Exactly. And, and yeah. the quote-unquote homosexual mm-hmm. as an identity is a recent phenomenon in the West. Okay. Even heterosexuality as an identity is a recent phenomenon in the West. People weren't labeled either homo or heterosexual. People were just allowed to be as long as they got mm. married and had children. Wow, okay. <laughs> like lots of cultures. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you know, you show your kind of reproductive ability, mm-hmm. but then you can have sex with who you God like. knows I've been trying for years and it just won't happen. <laughs> <laughs> I could get you pregnant. <laughs> Not in four pairs of tights, God. <laughs> I don't know, baby. <laughs> Try me. Um, thank you. <laughs> Um, so I'm really interested that in the article, definitely, we've spoken about it already, but it's framed as uh, it's the children that we're worried about. Yes. Okay, so it's not Sylvia or, or John, it's the children. That's sort of just interesting me that it's yeah. framed in that way. Yeah. Is that something that we're still familiar with now, maybe, or not? Yeah. Or how, how do yes, you think that? absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I've, I've certainly been... Uh, I'm, I'm just trying to think how, how to tell this story that's about to go out into the public on the internet. <laughs> I've certainly been in situations where um, I, I went to stay... Oh, how to do this, right? I went to stay with some people that we know, with my family, staying as vague as I possibly can, because I know they're all on the internet. We went to, like, a family event, and uh, I, I took my boyfriend at the time, and it was made very clear 
uh, everything was really fine up until about 9pm. Then it was made very clear that my boyfriend and I weren't welcome to stay in the house where this was happening because there were children in the house. Okay, yeah. Yeah, when, like, children aged two and four who literally had no idea at all what was going on. They didn't even, mm. you know. So, uh, yeah, I think it is still absolutely mm. common. I mean, it, it's, if you hate someone, it's much easier to blame somebody else, isn't it, than yeah, actually yeah, come out true. and nail your colours to yeah. the mast, you know. Also, I think people assume the default sexuality of a child is heterosexual mm. and the default gender of a child is cis. So anything else is seen as sh absolutely shocking. Yet, you know, a lot of parents will go to their little children, oh, have you got a boyfriend? Have you got a girlfriend? Mm, mm. Oh, look, kiss him, kiss him. You know, they, they, they force heterosexuality on children. But if you were to say that my child is gay or... I was gay or trans as a child, then all hell breaks loose. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I don't know if everybody remembers the Heinz mayonnaise ad that had the two gay dads. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a whole controversy about it. It was, I think, 2008. And people were saying... I've got gay friends. This is what it was. Yeah, you know, my best friend's gay, but I've got children, and I wouldn't want that to be in front of the children. What, mayonnaise? <laughs> well, you know, mayonnaise, mayo. Um, really evil. So, you know, the, the idea of being tolerant mm -hmm. to adults, but yet restricting children from yeah. that, you know, their, their best friend. You know, like, what, what, what will I say to the children about your relationship? Marge is actually really good about that mm -hmm. in the answer that she gives. Brilliant. She actually says, you know, um, it, don't hide anything from them. Yeah. But if they ask, tell them the facts. Yeah. You know, yeah. you don't need to go into great detail about it. You don't need to yeah. tell them about the sexual exploits of everybody in the neighbourhood. But if they ask the question, then tell them the answer. And I think yeah. that's actually really forward thinking for 1970. Yeah. It is. But also... When people think of same-sex relationships, they immediately think of sex acts, mm -hmm. you know. And when people talk about heterosexuality, they don't think about sex acts. It's marriage, mm -hmm. it's love. But as soon as, you know, queerness comes into the equation, mm -hmm. then immediately it's, oh my God, I don't want to know what you do in private. You know, yeah. people, it's like, well, yeah, we could do it in public too. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, but it's that whole thing, you know, keep it away from my eyes, whatever you're doing. And even if it's holding hands, it's in their mind, it's not holding hands, it's something else. It's that, like fingering, yeah, you that's know. So, <laughs> that's so interesting that, yeah, that you think link queerness to sex acts rather than love. And also thinking about, like, all the stories that we tell uh, or films or history books or religion. You know, everything is just geared to heterosexuality in that way, isn't it? Um, yeah, and, mm. uh, you know, the, it, there was partial decriminalisation in mm. 1967 and it was only up till 2002 that LGBT people were allowed to adopt children. Wow. So you can mm. see the, you know, you can see the the length of time mm. from that time when, you know, people still have this idea of mm. the innocence of children, assuming, mm. again, heterosexuality and not thinking children could be LGBT. Mm. You That's know. Mad. 
I guess I just wanted to quick, little quick answers around the fact that this is an agony ant letter and that actually at the bottom of it, people could send a stamped addressed envelope if they want a response. And I just wanted to quickly think about the function of an agony ant letter and what that would mean to people. I'm interested in the idea that this letter was answered on the 3rd of October, but might well have been sent four months earlier and these yeah, children have yeah. already converted to queer people, <laughs> so... You know, it seems yeah. the, the timeline is a lot longer. Yeah. You know, like if you were really in desperate need, you could. It's not like you're going to write off the Daily Mirror in the hope mm-hmm. that Marge answers your letter. You yeah, know, so I, you know, it, may, it does make me think. What was the support system for queer people as well as straight mm. people? I guess in that mm-hmm. situation, and I guess that's your friends more than anything, yeah. really, isn't it? So that brings us to the end of Act One. So let's have a break, grab a drink, and I'll see you in five. I've been told that you shouldn't share cubicles, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be an interesting experience. Close and personal, that's it. See so if we can shut get the, the door. Get the door shut, bit of privacy while we're in here. Lovely, lovely. Oh, hold on. Okay. Oh! I'm going to Fine, right. Lift the lid, lift the lid, lift the la 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 lid. Here you Okay, so I'm here in a very uh, up-close and very personal with Ginger Johnson in the RVT bathroom. It's quite cosy. Yes. I've had a tic-tac before in here, so... Well, I'm not sure the toilets have had a no, tic-tac, it's really it's, quite fragrant. It's very, it's very yeah, fresh in that here That unique at the smell of Vauxhall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, so I'm going to hit you with the first question. Tell me. Uh, what is your biggest bathroom faux pas? Uh, biggest bathroom yeah. so far? Well, I've got a bathroom faux pas, but I don't okay. think it's uh, digestive related, <laughs> if that's what you're looking for. Um, uh, the toilets are quite a good place to cry, I've found. Oh, okay. uh, and <laughs> I have been very quietly having a little salt to myself in the toilet before, only to have somebody from the next cubicle give me a bit of encouragement. Uh, <laughs> That's so cute. Yeah, I know, but they thought that I needed the shit. What I needed to do was get my life together, you know. So uh, it was nice at the time, but I couldn't face it. You know, and, I had to wait until the end. And left. how did the encouragement work? Did you feel like you were encouraged afterwards? Yes, it, it was. It was up in Newcastle, and it was a very strong and straightforward. Go on, sir. How old were you? Uh, about twenty-nine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, excellent, excellent. Okay, next one. What okay. are you most scared of? Ooh, um, wardrobe malfunction. Okay, uh, yeah, in at yeah, number yeah. three, I'll do the top three. Okay. Uh, wardrobe malfunction number three. Um, in at number two, dine alone. Uh, <laughs> in at number one, never getting to own a dog. Oh, you know? I love that dying alone is number two. Yes! <laughs> never getting to own a well, dog. Well, you know, there, it's yeah. going to happen eventually. Okay. Um, uh, is there anything about yourself that you would consider perverted or have ever considered perverted? I mean, the list is extremely long. (laughs) (laughs) I like to try and live a perverted lifestyle as much as I can. I mean, if it's anything, if it's about being not normal, then uh, I couldn't even aspire to be normal at this stage. I think I'm well past the point of no return. So, uh, yeah, wake up a pervert, go to sleep a pervert. That's it, really. Amazing. I love that. I might steal that. Have it. That's fine. Wake up a pervert. I want 10% of every bit of money you make off that. Can you describe, just for for the listeners, can you describe your 
real look. Yes, I absolutely can. Yeah. I'm actually wearing a dress that was gifted to me by Rihanna mm. Styles, um, oh, maybe eight or nine years ago, something no like way. that. And, uh, but it's recently had a little bit of a revamp. It's a lovely cerulean turquoisey type colour, mm. and I've covered it in fringing, and I've got a lovely embroidered pussy on me back. No. What? What? You really, you really have, yes. right? I'm having yes. a good fun look at her right now. And uh, what about your necklace that you've got on? That's lovely. Yes, well, mm. these are actually gumdrops that have been oh. pre-sucked. Uh, <laughs> I find it easier to keep the jewellery on that way if it's sugar-based, you know. Oh, Otherwise, yeah, yeah. I tend to forget. Okay, yeah. beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Can we get out of literally, this now? I'm literally, what you can't see is that I'm actually blushing right now. <laughs> blushing and flushing earlier it's on. True, it's true, it's true. But no, I love uh, Rihanna style. She's amazing. Yeah. Fabulous. I remember Absolutely that um, piece that she did in the huge like bubble. It's yes. like a huge balloon. Isn't yes, it? Um, yeah, RC. she's doing something really amazing at the moment as well. I yeah. saw some pictures the other day. And really? Fabulous artist. Yeah. So fabulous. I feel like amazing that you're wearing her dress. <laughs> I'm sure she wore it here at some yeah. stage. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, okay, next one. Uh, we've, got, we've got off track. I'm right, sorry, back, sorry, sorry. Bring Talk us back about on the fashions. Track. I get animated when um, <laughs> Okay, what are you thinking about before you go on stage? Um, normally, oh, desperately trying to remember any kind of words that I might have to say. Okay, yeah. uh, and then in the second before I go on, no matter how much I've prepared or how long I've tried for, all of those words just vanish into the ether. <laughs> so I like to spend the first... The, uh, a, a very good friend of mine gave me some excellent advice. Mm. He said to me that uh, Ginger Johnson's quite a difficult character oh. to take for, for people when they don't know me, right? Mm. Because I'm very loud and very boisterous and, you know, it's, it's a whole mm. kit and caboodle going on there. And he used to tell me that before I went out on stage, I should say to myself... Uh, be soft and be kind. Oh, and I think right nice. now in the world, I don't know if there's anything more important than that, mm. than being soft and kind with people. Then I like to try and do that with my audience, and I think they appreciate it. So. I think that's lovely. Thank I'm going to channel that for act two. Well, thank you so much. You've been a wonderful guest, up thank close you. and personal, in the bathroom. Pass the toilet roll. Okay, welcome back, everybody. <laughs> I hope you are feeling refreshed and relieved. Ginger is going to prepare for her act. Yes, I am. Yes. Uh, which she has created especially for tonight. And so it falls to me to fill the void. So I've actually, I'm two months on testosterone now. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. No, that's not actually what I'm supposed to say. What I'm supposed to say is uh, I've got three facts quickly on Marge Proops, who's the agony aunt. Okay. So, when she died in 1966, people were unsure whether she was in her 70s or 80s because she kept her age so ambiguous. Nobody knew. She has a waxwork in Madame Tussauds in 1977. Just the one year, but she did have one. Um, and with Philip Levy, a lawyer from the Mirror, she had a steamy affair for over 22 years. Okay, that's Marge Proops. So, now you are all dripping with anticipation. It's time for our cabaret act inspired by tonight's perversion. Put your hands together for the one, the only, it's Ginger Johnson, everybody! Hello, it's me. Hello, how are you? Are you well? Good. Uh, I'm going to just intro this quickly. Um, so I was asked to, to make something up inspired by the artefact that we've got. And uh, I was really interested in this couple. Who are the, these boys, as they're described in the letter over and over again? And I wondered about how they maybe thought about this situation. And in the article, it explains that John and uh, I can't remember his wife's name. Sylvia. Sylvia. They've gone over to the house for drinks. And I tried to imagine what might have happened in that situation. And I decided to, to put it into letter form, relayed 
by the couple Julian and John, who I've called, to their friends Andrew and Nathan. So this is a letter from Julian and John to their friends Andrew and Nathan. And I've decided for some reason that Julian is from Yorkshire. <clears throat> Dear Andrew and Nathan, thank you for your letter dated September 25th and the enclosed pamphlets. Who knew there was so much to learn about indoor potted plants? Apologies for the tardiness of my reply. We are only just out of boxes, as I'm sure you'll understand. The move went without a hitch, such is the benefit of my excellent planning. And we are now fully settled in our palatial new home. Yes, it is technically a bedsit. But I am confident that with the right lighting and soft furnishings, we can, in all good conscience, call it a studio apartment. Rest assured, as soon as we have the place shipshape, an invitation to dinner with John and I will soon follow. In the lounge, we've plumped for Spanish sunrise, which is a warm yellow. And in the bedroom, vanilla. John's choice, not mine. <laughs> Thank you for the advice in relation to our new neighbours. I am happy to report that this week, despite my fears, I bit the proverbial bullet and invited them over to ours for drinks and the conversation. You are, of course, correct. If we are to live happily side by side, they will have to get used to the idea that John and I are lovers. I penned a note to them and slipped it under their door. Drinks? Question mark? Tomorrow at seven. Full stop. Julian and John at number 14. Full stop. No frills. They accepted via return of post within the hour, and I decided, perhaps out of nerves or fear of seeming somehow abnormal in my own home, that we should at first have them get used to us before getting used to us. Ease them in, as it were. Exercise restraint at first so as not to frighten them. The plan. Cocktail on arrival, chat about the weather, mushroom volivon, what do you do for a living, glass of blue nun, by the way, we're gay, thank you and good night. <laughs> In order for the smooth running of the operation, the following afternoon, John and I convened in the lobby for a short run-through of our first scene, just to be safe. The scene as written. I was to answer the door, smiling, and John would extend a strong handshake to the husband while I took the wife's hand and thanked her for the housewarming gift, which, judging by the quality of the notepaper they replied on, they were certain to provide. Oh, how thoughtful. You really shouldn't have, I would coo, before passing through to the living room where we'd take our seats for an hour or two of polite conversation, puff pastry nibbles and an airing of our combined closets, as it were. For costume, I settled on a modest ensemble of plaid on plaid for myself, no frills, and John, uh, after some direct encouragement on my part, conceded to wear a tie. Husband and wife arrive at 7pm on the dot, and so they should, living as they do just across our spacious new hallway. Two brisk knocks and a sharp ring of the doorbell, very keen. On the way to the front door, we run over the moves one last time. Me on smiles and thank yous, and John on coats. I take a deep breath and steel myself, raise a winning smile and throw open the door and there they are. Her in a salmon pink twin set and him, a man of 60 in a 30-year-old man's suit, which somehow managed to be both too big and too small for him at the same time. For a moment, we four stood there in silence, taking each other in, aliens on our own landing. Now, don't get me wrong, they are perfectly ordinary people, quite pleasant, really, but it wasn't until they were stood before me that I fully contemplated what task we had sleepwalked ourselves into. I mean, what if it didn't go to plan? What if Mr and Mrs were not fond of the idea of Mr and Mr? 
They say that moving house is one of the most stressful things one goes through in life, alongside the death of a partner. And I can say in good confidence that if I had to go through the whole rigmarole of packing up all of my worldly belongings and shipping out for the third time in as many months, I would rather John were dead. <laughs> and I'm sure he would agree. The living room. Cocktails. Topic of conversations include weather, as predicted, occupations, so far so straightforward, and grandchildren. <laughs> John fared extremely well in an extended back and forth about the new one-way system in the town centre. So much so, in fact, that the husband took him for a minicab driver. Imagine our John, a minicab driver. How we all laughed. <laughs> Just as I started to feel like things might be going in our favour, I noticed a familiar glimmer in John's eye. He was enjoying himself. Very dangerous. John can't be trusted when he's having a nice time. It changes him. It makes him act out. His joints soften. And by the way he waves them around, you'd think his hand has just newly sprouted from the ends of his wrists. I send him to the kitchen to collect the volivants and flash him a look that tells him to have a sharp word with himself by an open window before he returns. The noise of him in there, banging around. He wasn't built for homemaking, my John. I made an attempt to drown it out with a record player, but we'd reached an uncharacteristically quiet moment in the cast recording of Gilbert and Sullivan's Pirates of Penzance, and it struck me that the whole affair might be a little counterproductive. <laughs> Musical theatre is so often lost on the straits, which goes some way to explaining their demeanour. They're often so pinned in, don't you find, Nathan? Another time. When it came to the crunch, I couldn't do it. And anyway, I fear the shock might have killed them had we told them there and then, and two deaths in a new home would not have been the best of starts. I'll try again. I do have one concern. I got a strange sense from our new friends. Reading between the lines of conversation, taking all things about Mr and Mrs into consideration. I mean, it doesn't bother us, me and John, of course. John and I are very open-minded, but I have come to the conclusion that our new neighbours may in fact be... Tories. I mean, it wouldn't matter all that much. It's just we've offered to host the next meeting of our local communist party in our home, and I'm not sure how they could handle their questions. Should they find out who we're living alongside? Any advice on this? Gratefully received. Love always and kisses for the cats, Julian and John. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Ginger. That was absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. I absolutely loved it. Um, we have 30 seconds for one question or comment. Very, very quick. Has anyone got a question or a comment that they would like to make? And then that's us. Yeah. Do you, do you think, uh, uh, oh, there's a uh, mic oh, coming round. Hello. You. Hello. Do you think um, a show like um, Round the Horn with Julian and Sandy was um, good for the queer community or was it, did it, was it too kind of um, like satirical and lambasting the queer community? Um, well, I'm very good friends with a wonderful, legendary, amazing soul called Lavinia Co-op. Let's have some noise for Lavinia Co-op, please. And uh, Lavinia has told me in the past that um, she, uh, listening to Julian Sandy for her was... A, and by the way, that's why I called him Julian, because I love Julian and Sandy. Um, listening to Julian Sandy to her was a great relief because she knew that her voice was different to other boys and she knew that it, it, it kind of picked her out from them and to then hear somebody in that voice on that radio, you know, that, that meant that she wasn't alone in the world and it gave her something to hang on to, to identify with. So I, I can't think that it's a bad thing. I mean, any queers in the media ever, whether fictional or real, cannot be a bad thing. 
Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, that brings us to the end. Thank you. Can I have a round of applause, please, for Ginger Johnson's act that we just saw? Thank you. Thank you. Can I have a round of applause for Campbell X, please? And a huge thank you to Lysander, Liam, Ingo, and all up by whatever. Thank you for having us. We are Milk Presents. This is the Perverts Podcast. See you soon. The Perverts Podcast was created by Milk Presents, and I was joined by the wonderful Campbell X and Ginger Johnson. The Perverts Podcast is produced by She Wants a Dog, letting podcasts off the lead and was recorded at the historical and ever-gorgeous Royal Vauxhall Tavern. Our sound design is by Ian Armstrong, and the theme music is composed and performed by Serial Davis. A big thanks to Arts Council England and Derby Theatre for supporting this, and to the Bishopsgate Institute. If you like the Perverts podcast, please do share and shout about it. You might also like a couple of other podcasts produced by She Wants a Dog, such as A Practical Guide to Death and Sick Babe, which are both well worth checking out. You can find these and more at shewantsadog.com or follow at shewantsadog.com.